Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Thanks, as always, for checking out the GM Shuffle. we got lots coming up today. The NFC East now looks like it's Washington's to lose. Hurts so good. Jalen Hurts getting a dump for the Eagles and their defense as they shockingly knock off the Saints. And is Aaron Rodgers now the frontrunner for MVP rather than Patrick Mahomes? Plus, Brady and the Bucks bounce back against the Vikings. All that more coming up. But first off, I want to ask Mike about the death of Michael Corleone. That's right. If you're unaware, Francis Ford Coppola went back and took a hatchet to Godfather 3. He knows it took a savage beating back in 1990. People think it's a far cry from the first two films, which we can all agree on because of Sofia Coppola's performance. Uh, obviously, he can't remove his daughter from the movie, but Mike, you watched the death of Michael Corleone, Coda, the Godfather 3, recut, revisited. You watched on Amazon Prime for $3.99. Give us a cinephile-type review on Coppola. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could go cinephile on you. Like you're too good at that. Like you just kind of know the, the 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 acting, the cinematography. I mean, I can't even say cinematography, but I mean, <laughs> to me, I thought it was better. I thought it was better. I, I think it was less. I think there was a casting issue. I think the two issues with me with Godfather Three were casting. Like George Hamilton ain't a thug. Like there's no way George Hamilton should have been in the movie as as the Tom Hagen guy. Like it, 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 he, it just wasn't believable. He He's a pretty boy. Like he gets a manicure of his nails. Like there's just no way he should have been that, you know? This one, he was more lawyer than he was. It was like he was Michael Corleone's personal lawyer. It wasn't like he was in the mob. So that was a little better. They cut down his role. Eli Wallach was still heavy in it. I thought he was horrible in it. He just, to me, it was overacting. And then I thought Andy Garcia tried to be Sonny in the first movie with the temper. and Like, yeah, we get it. You're Sonny's son, right? We get it. You know, but you don't have to tell us. You don't have to overdo it, right? We know you're hot-tempered, like implied, but not overdo it. And in this movie, early he was over the top with it. But as the movie comes on, and a lot of it is set in Sicily, as it as it changes, he he kind of goes from, and I think this is what Coppola's point was, he went from Sonny and became Michael. And so he kind of was hot-tempered, and by the end of the movie, you see him sitting there with his legs crossed at a family meeting, having an orange in his hand like Michael did when he got back from from uh, spending time down in Cuba with Hyman Roth and all those. So you kind of see the, meta, the, the metamorphosis of his change. And I thought it was a much better movie. I mean, Sofia Coppola was still in it. I, I, didn't, I never was bothered by her as much as everybody else was. I was more bothered by Hamilton, Eli Wallach, and a little bit of Andy Garcia. So, And then I thought a little bit too much, you know, playing back on the old lines that were great lines. Like, you don't have to say that. There was a couple good new lines in this, but uh, at the beginning of the movie, A.D., is Coppola comes on, and I mean, the guy is skinny as shit. Like, last time I saw him, he was having lunch with Anthony Bourdain in his villa in, in, in Italy, his hotel, and he was huge. And now it's like he's one half of the man he was. I got to get on his diet program. I got to Google how the hell he did it because it was really, I mean, I, I can't imagine he gave up fucking pasta. Like, that's my biggest problem. Like, I'm Italian. They say you got to give up carbs. I can't give up bread and I can't give up. Like, I can't. Like, it's just impossible. How do you want me to do this? It's in my blood. So I don't know what he did. But anyway, he looks, 
he looked much better. And he talks about the movie. He talks about his relationship with Pooza to start off with, which I think is fascinating, and how they both wrote it. And they needed really six more months to clean it up. But it's worth three ninety nine. It definitely is. All right, I'm going to watch The Godfather. This is Coda, the death of Michael Corleone, the recut Godfather three. I'm watching it Tuesday night. You see, it was three ninety nine on Amazon Prime, right? It's a pretty good deal in this day and age. It can't beat it. Now, here's the question I have for Mr. Cenophile: Do we get like there was Godfather four written by Mark Weingartner? Do we or will they ever make that movie? And it was the time between, it was like it was that period where before the family moves to Vegas, it's that it was set like in the fifties. There's more Vito Corleone in it. it. It's he's not dead yet. It's before. It's kind of like when he. It's from when Jenko starts to maybe the wedding, right? It's that period where we see him become and run the comp- run the family. We'll never see that, will we? Well, I I wouldn't say never see never, Mike, because one thing we know about studios and, and the movies, that they need the money sometimes. Sometimes they're going to capitalize on nostalgia and financial wherewithal. And Andy Garcia has said before, listen, I'd be willing to make Godfather 4. I would start, I'd direct it if I had Francis Ford Coppola's blessing. So- I don't know. Like I'm, I'm hesitant just because Godfather Three did not work out as well as everyone hoped for. Although, like you're saying, this recut version is is better than what the original one was. The third one that came out on Christmas Day, which they rushed to theaters. So I wouldn't say never say never. My fear is always if they remade the Godfather. You know, like they're remaking Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Like I, I don't want to. I don't want to see the Godfather remade one day with like Kevin Hart and The Rock. That's my biggest fear. Yeah, you can't do that. There's no. They're not going to remake. The, there's movies you can't remake. I mean, there's just no way. Like there's certain movies. You you can't you're not going to remake the Godfather because you can't you can't do any better on it. Like there's no chance that's going to happen. There's no way. Uh, but I would like to see I would like to see the the period from when when they when the, it ends with Robert Duvall to where it begins at the wedding. I would like to see that time if there's enough and there's probably enough feuds and enough fights. And the book talks about the Cleveland mob, the Kansas City, how it all kind of comes together, how the commission is really formed. Yeah, I agree. That that timepiece, that I find interesting. Like I would be less interested if it was, oh, Godfather 4, you know, this is the Corleones as millennials. I'm like, no, no, I don't give a shit about like the last 20 years of my life. No, no. If it was that stretch, like you said, specifically, that would be, that would be interesting. All right, let's dive into the football. Chase Young, Cameron Curl, getting it done for Washington. Sole possession of first place, now in the NFC East. 23-15 win over the San Francisco 49ers. And Washington, don't look now, they've won four straight games. I had to listen to people all week tell me the Giants are better than their 5-7 and seven record. Instead, they stunk against the Cardinals, 26-7. Daniel Jones did nothing. That Now it's Washington's first four-game win streak since 2016. And it's all their defense, Mike. They won without scoring a touchdown in a road game for the first time since 1992. Godfather 3 came out in 1990. This was 92, the last time Washington won a game this way. Dwayne Haskins, by the way, replaced Alex Smith at one point because the, the right leg injury caused Smith to miss the second half. Haskins didn't do much, 7-12, 51 yards. But this was all defense. Is this defense good enough to win the division? You know, I, I think they are. I mean, look, they've got six wins, you know, and they play – Coming up, they've got Seattle, they've got Carolina and Philadelphia, right? And so Carolina and Philly have two bad offensive lines. Seattle has a bad offensive line. So anytime they're going to play a game against a team with a bad offensive line, you know, and you don't really control the pace of the game, I mean, they're hard to they're hard to play. I mean, they played Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had 
turned the ball over. Pittsburgh was six for 15 on third down on that on that Monday night or Tuesday night game, whenever the hell it was. I mean, the last five weeks, they're four and one. They've held opponents to 21 conversions on third down out of 66 attempts. That's really freaking good, you know, and they've been able to, to, to shut down the passing games. I mean, they haven't really been able, no one throws the football effectively because it's hard to throw the ball on them. I mean, it's really hard to, to make plays against them in the passing game because you got to do a good job of protecting. I mean, they've only allowed 6.14 yards per attempt in the last five games, and that counted the Detroit game. Since Detroit, it's been well below six. I mean, since Detroit, it's been well below six, and they and they've had twelve and they've had twelve sacks in the last four weeks. So they're really good. They don't give up many big plays. I mean, San Francisco didn't make a play over 25 yards in the game, you know, and they were and they got sacked four times. They controlled the whole pace of the game. You know, San Francisco's percentage of completion was 55%. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're a hard team to play. Look, unless they're going to give it to you on offense, unless they're going to turn the ball over on offense. You know, here's the remarkable thing. The last two weeks, A.D., they've won. They were, they've been 7 for 32 on third down. 7 for 32. They won yesterday with 193 yards of offense. But once again... We know this. Playing complementary football is the key to winning in the National Football League, and it doesn't have to have reflective of having these incredible stats. Let's hear from Riverboat Ron. Ron Rivera, why the defense has played so well this last month. I attribute to uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, first and foremost, you know, it, 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 not having OTAs in minicamp uh, really, I think, played into to, to the development, slow development and growth that we had as a team. And so what's happening is I think, I think you're seeing everything come together. And that's what we that's what we've been working towards is is this time of year is to have things in the right place, and and we're starting to see it. And just a thought on Chase Young, Mike, number two overall pick, two hundred sixty four pounds. You can't miss in the draft when you're drafting that high. And this guy is such a terror. I mean, this is what's happened with Washington is that you know it's very easy when you look at the draft. You say, okay, we need a quarterback. Okay, we need a left tackle. But if you can build a defensive line that consistently puts pressure on the quarterback, that's what Washington has done, and that's why they look to be in good shape for like the next few years, at least on that side of the ball. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and they've been able to get a ton of pressure on the quarterback. You know, they they they've had three interceptions in five weeks. I mean, they get they they get their hands on a lot of footballs. I mean, a lot of balls. Uh, and they're able to pressure the quarterback and they get a ton of hurry. So to me, I, I think it's really been, uh, you, you've got to look at this thing and say, wow, you know, when you when you look at how many times they hit the quarterback, I mean, Montez Sweat's hit the quarterback 15 times. Jonathan Allen's hit him, hit him 12 you know, and, and we're not even talking about them. We're talking about Chase Young. He's got eight, eight quarterback hits. So, you know, they've got three guys that are constantly pressuring the quarterback. And when you do that, usually good things happen. So, you know, that to me, that's why I think they're 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 gonna be a hard team to play. They're, they're gonna be a hard team to beat. They may not be a hard team to play because you they're not gonna move the ball offensively. They're terrible on offense. I mean, they really don't have any I mean, unless they make mistakes on offense. You know, and, you know, last, think about this, AD, the last two weeks, they're seven for 32 on third down conversions, seven for, I mean, that's unheard of, you know, and, and so, but they're hard to beat and you better be good. You better block them. You, it's hard to block them. If you can't block them 
you're going to make a mistake. Let's keep the theme going in the NFC East, and the Philadelphia Eagles are still alive. And what has to be the most shocking result of Week 14, the New Orleans Saints had won nine games in a row, 8-0 over the past two seasons without Drew Brees. They're looking at the number one spot in the NFC, and here comes Jalen Hurts. He had confidence, he had poise, and he gives the Eagles a victory. Now, with throwing the ball, threw for 167, one touchdown, okay, pedestrian, but he ran for 106, and Miles Sanders, with a nod to Robert Frost, and miles to go before I sleep, he had 100 115 yards rushing and a pair of scores. New Orleans had not given up a 100-yard rusher in 55 straight games, and the Eagles put up two guys who ran for 100-plus yards. Now, Hurts played well, Mike, and Miles Sanders did great. And their defense, by the way, stepped up. Fletcher Cox, that defensive line is great. They sacked Taysom Hill five times. But part of this is also Doug Peterson. For God's sakes, they finally ran the football, and look at the results they had. This is the first game I thought that Philadelphia actually played a game to where it complimented their quarterback. And maybe this was what they needed because they didn't want to throw the ball and have Jalen Hurts turn it over. So they went into the game really trying to run the ball. And they did. I mean, Hurts led the team in rushing attempts. He had over 100 yards rushing. They ran the single wing. I don't care what, you know, you could talk about their off. They basically ran the single wing. And, you know, he got fortunate. He had a, he threw an interception out on the, it would, it would have gone for a touchdown. The kid dropped it. You know, it really helped them. And that happens. I mean, it does. But this was the first time they rushed 36 attempts in the game. We've been saying on this podcast, their most explosive player has not been their receivers. It's been Miles Sanders. And once again, Sanders has a long run for a touchdown like he did against Pittsburgh. But for some reason, when he had Wentz in the game, and he can't do this with Wentz, I mean, and he's not going to be able to do this much longer with Hurts either. Hurts is going to get hurt. I mean, Hertz was Hertz was dinged in this game. I mean, he took a couple shots in this game that was that was hard and painful, you know. But but and 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 Doug gave him a great opportunity at the ball at midfield. I think what was it, twenty one seventeen or twenty one ten or something like that. And he goes for it on fourth and one, and he naturally doesn't get it. I mean, this is the remarkable thing about Philadelphia. Nobody nobody talks about this. So Philadelphia is second in the National Football League in, in fourth down conversion attempts with twenty seven. 27 they are. They're at 37% conversion of those. So when he goes for it on fourth down, you know, he's two for five when when it's less than a when it's one yard or less. Okay. Or zero or two yards, he's two for five. He's two for six when it's three to seven. He's one for three when it's eight to ten, and he's three for five when it's over eleven. And yet they continue to do it at parts of the field that's dangerous. You know, and yesterday he did it once again. And and really, his defense was playing so well, especially with the liability in the secondary because they had some guys. Slay was hurt. He played, but he was hurt. Roby Coleman was hurt. He played. But but you would thought that they would have kind of done it. But this was the best. I thought this was the best game plan that they've had to help the quarterback and they couldn't do it with Wentz because he would have gotten broken in half. Yeah, Eagles were up 17 to nothing, and their secondary just got beat up. Slay left the game, Avante Maddox left the game. They had three guys had to leave their secondary, and all of a sudden the Saints scored two touchdowns. You can feel the tide turning. Elliott, by the way, missed a 22-yard field goal. Just inexcusable. Like, thank him for the Super Bowl. Go get another kicker, Doug, because like you can't have that happen. It could have been 20 to nothing. Instead, it was 17 nothing. Like I said, the Saints came back, but Hurts and company able to secure the touchdown. Take a listen, by the way, to head coach Doug Peterson. You you would think after that performance, Hurts is a starter, but Doug wouldn't commit to it. Um, I have to take into consideration the entire football team. You know, Jalen Jalen played played well. Uh, obviously, we won the game, but there, there's a lot of lot of good performances out there tonight. And and again, you know, uh, 
as I said, defense stepped up, offensive line, some of our young receivers, and, and obviously Jalen. So um, it's it's a start, and uh, we're excited to get the win. All right, so we wouldn't commit to Hurts further. Here's the schedule. They're at Arizona, then they're at Dallas, and they close up against Washington. Playoff hope still alive there for Philadelphia. And we got to just incorporate this tweet here, Mike. This is from Brian Duvall. I sure hope Mike and Adnan go after Sean Payton's game plan in tomorrow's GM shuffle. All three Saints losses this season with 20 or fewer rush attempts. Payton, Anthony Lynn this game. Your thoughts? Well, I don't know if he Anthony Lynn did, but I, I, I think there's two games, uh, and obviously I'm going to put Dennis Allen on the lamb later, but I, it almost was like the Saints were shocked that that uh, Jalen Hurts was going to run the ball. It was like they were shocked. Nothing drives me crazier, and you can ask Millie, nothing drives me more insane than when the defensive line doesn't rush the quarterback the right way based on who the quarterback is. It just, it just fucking drives me nuts. They run a TE game, which means that the end comes down, the tackle has to loop around, and he gets pinned on the inside. And the quarterback gets out of the pocket, he runs for 15 yards, and everybody thinks it's the great, you know, like seriously, like like I said this on the pod last week, if I were Sean Payton, I would have walked into Dennis Allen's office and said, look, we're going to play zone, we're going to play a little man, but we're going to take our four defensive linemen and they're going to push this pocket back and we're going to set the edge on both sides of the defense so that they can't run the football. So they can't run it outside on their outside stretch play. And, you know, they they don't do it, you know. And this is one of those games that the Saints always seem to have, one of those blunders, you know. You just, like, are you sure they're good enough? Are you sure that you keep asking yourself, are you sure they're good enough? You know, and, and, and when you watch them, you know, you just keep, can't help but think it. I mean, like, like seriously, this game they allow 6.83 a carry. 6.83. They lose to Chicago. They win in overtime against Chicago. They give up 4.17. You know, they, they and and when they lost to Las Vegas, they gave up 3.31. And they gave up to Green Bay, they gave up 3.77. I mean, you got to be able to stop. When you give up 246 yards of rushing, you're not going to win the game. And they are, and the Eagles average 6.83. That's significantly higher than any Eagle passing average in a game. 6.83. So it was, it, they were shocked by it. And yeah, you could say, well, they should have run the ball. When you get down 17 nothing, it's kind of hard to run the football, right? It, it's kind of hard to say, well, yeah, we got to run the ball. And, you know, their 20 rushing attempts isn't going to get it done. When you look at it, the last time they rushed 20 times was against Green Bay. Speaking of Green Bay, now with the Saints' loss and Green Bay's victory, Green Bay could have the inside track towards the number one spot in the NFC. And that means all the roads go through Lambeau. I know it's different without fans, but still, who the hell wants to play in the cold weather in January no matter what? The Packers, they knocked Matthew Stafford out of the game and injury in the fourth quarter. They've won three straight, second straight division championship. They're 10-3, and three, as are the Saints, but the Packers beat the Saints earlier this season. And how about Aaron Rodgers right now? Two-time MVP. He completed his first eight passes for one. 119. Overall, he went 26 of 33 for 290, three touchdowns, and did not throw an interception for a third straight game. Before I ask you, Mike, let's listen to Matt LaFleur, whether he thinks Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. Well, I think anytime you have just a group of players like we have, especially our quarterback, a guy of his caliber who, without a doubt in my mind, is should be the front runner for the MVP. I mean, he, he just does it consistently every time we go out on that field. It, it gives you a lot of confidence that you're going to come out with a victory. And 
Amazing to think at this level, Mike, at this age, Aaron Rodgers could win another MVP, but he's been spectacular. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, the last two weeks he's gained throw thrown over the, the offense is over 400 yards. I mean, you know, and I I think they're going to be a, you know the the only concern you have about Green Bay is defensively. You know, can they slow anybody down on defense? Are they going to be able to play good enough on defense? They held Detroit to 293, but Detroit scored 24 on them. You know, last week against Philly, they held them to 278. You know, and you, you got to see if they can do that. I mean, that's going to be the key. That's going to be the key. And, you know, and and Detroit only ran the ball 15 times in the game. And so, you know, they get ahead of people and it's hard to have your run game involved. Look, I know this, going up there to play, whether it's, whether there's fans or no fans, it's going to be cold. It's going to be hard to kick the ball. There's going to be a lot of things working in the Packers' favors when they go up there. And uh, the Saints have the kind of team that can play up there. I'm not sure there's others that could do that. I don't think Tampa could go up there and play as effectively. Uh, not because I think Tampa's not good at cold weather, but I think the way Tampa wants to play, it's not conducive. So, yeah, I mean, look, that. Rodgers deserves all the credit. I mean, because when you drive to the stadium on Sunday morning and you know you got Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, there's no lead he can't overcome. And there's and every time he gets the ball, he's potentially going to score. I mean, the Lions are trying to cover Devontae Adams with one guy. I mean, like, seriously, can't we double him? Can't we take him out of the game? Like, sometimes I watch these games and I'm like, do, do they, like, the coaches think the players are the X receiver or the Z receiver or the Y. Like, yeah, they're the Y, but they're also a name attached to the Y. Like, T- Tyreek Hill isn't a Z. He's Tyreek fucking Hill. Like, you got to double him on every play. You can't have Garfinkel running down the, down the middle of the field carrying him. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of shocking the way some of these decisions get made. But ultimately, Devontae Adams has been the best receiver in football this season. You're right. If he's not getting doubled, I don't know what's going on. Uh, when we come back, this is amazing that this happened. The Vikings missed four field goals. Think about that. Four field goals in their loss to the Bucks. The Colts route the Raiders. They make a coaching change. Plus, Anthony Lynn. More misery from Anthony Lynn, yet the Chargers actually won. All that more coming up. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Big game in the NFC with Brady and the Bucks against the Vikings. The Vikings were at 500. Uh, Brady and company at 7-5. 
The Buccaneers end up winning this game 8-5. and five. They're bolstering their chances, their first postseason berth in 13 years. They beat Minnesota 26-14. The Vikings, Dan Bailey, what a day. He missed four field goals. I mean, absolute misery there. He nearly cost the Vikings the previous week, too, missing two extra points and a potential winning kick for nailing a field goal in overtime to beat Jacksonville. Let's listen to what head coach Mike Zimmer has to say about Bailey missing these kicks. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really disappointed. Uh, you know, I I have a lot of faith in him. I have a lot of confidence in him. But, you know, these last two weeks have not been good. So, um, you know, I love the kid. He's a great kid. He's very even, even-natured. even um, You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You better figure it out because the Vikings were one in five, Mike. They'd won five of six games. And then this guy missed an extra point and field goals of 36, 54, and 46 yards. I know the 54 is tough. And I'm not saying 46 is a chip shot either, but you're going to do better than this, especially when your team is trying to make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, is the Vikings had the ball. I said on my on the Lombardi line, like the problem with the Bucks are their defense has been playing way too much defense. They've been playing a, a, above 32 minutes because their offense hasn't been able to convert third downs or just matriculate, keep the ball away. And yesterday, their defense played 39 minutes, and you know they missed three. You know they missed two field goals in the second quarter. You know that 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 that's the killer. It's you know you miss two field goals in the second quarter. You come down there and you know you go into halftime. You're down seventeen to six, but really that's a seventeen twelve game. You know now it's a whole different game. You know so I, I mean I think Zimmer has to do something. He may not want to cut the guy. The guy's going to get paid. But you know when you control the ball thirty nine minutes and you only score fourteen points, you know something's wrong. Something's wrong. And they were good. I mean, Kirk Cousins got sacked six times in a game. You could just feel it. What's amazing about this game is, this is what's so amazing about the NFL, is Cousins was 5 for 15 on third down at 33%, yet they had the ball 39 minutes. Now, he was 4 for 5 on fourth down. So obviously it took them, you know, they were going to convert those downs. But it's remarkable that they're able to do that. And they rush for 162, but yet they can't get the ball in the end zone, which is ultimately the critical component. So, look, I, I mean... When your kicker's cold you, in December, you got no choice but to cut your kicker. You really just don't. I mean, a cold kicker in December is not what you need if you're trying to make a playoff run. Exactly. At this point, the margin error is so slim right now. You still have a chance to play You cannot have these kinds of situations happening. And Brady, to his credit, listen, it's simple. 196 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. They come back after losing three home games against division title contenders in a four-week span. How about, I don't know if you saw how Mike, Jay Glazer was saying that there's no rift between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. They would have had a golf outing, but that was squashed to COVID. Like, I don't know where people get this stuff, but everybody, I'm not saying there's a rift, but everybody can tell those two are not on the same page, at least philosophically, no? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they probably, I'm, you know, Tom's a tremendous human being. I, I'm sure he does. I mean, philosophically, you know, you could be friends with someone and philosophically, you could be a Republican and be friends with a Democrat and, you know, share a cop, but we don't agree on how the game should be played or the details of the game. So, you know, obviously, you know, those stories come from somebody down there that they want to make sure they put it out there. That's the thing about all these leaks and organizations is you know exactly where it comes from and you know what the message is they want. You know, the Eagles say, we're not trading Carson Wentz. Well, certainly you're going to say that right now, right? You have to say that. Like, that's like, we, we call that a scoop, but that's common sense. Like, you know, you knew that story was going to get planted. Like as soon as, you know, Hertz took the field, they had to plant that story. Of course, you've got to say that. Like, seriously, 
how is this news? Like, you're going to come out and say, we're going to trade Carson Wentz at the end of the year. You're going to get nothing for him. So you have to say, I'm going to hold on to him. You've got to say Bruce and Tom are tight. We're really tight. But you can't say philosophically we're tight. You can't say that. I rolled my eyes and gave it a chuckle when I saw it. Thought of you immediately. Uh, now we get to the segment of the show, which is brought to you by Harvey Keitel and the Irishman. Now's not the time to not say. That's right. The Raiders are now fading. We were talking a few weeks ago about them potentially being a playoff team. Well, now they're on the outside looking in and continue to do so because the Colts just hammered them. 44 to 27. T.Y. Hilton had a couple touchdown passes. Jonathan Taylor rushed for a career high 150 yards and two touchdowns. The Colts now look better as they gallop to the win. They're now 9-4. and four. They racked up 456 total yards, and that's just too much for the Raiders to overcome. By the way, Rivers, longtime Chargers quarterback, made a 29th career start against the Raiders, beat them for the 19th time. That's the most by any opponent in Raiders history. But I want to focus in on the defense for Vegas, Mike. They fired their defensive coordinator, Paul Gunther, less than three hours after that loss. They're now 7-6. and six. Like I said, they gave up 456 to the Colts, 212 yards rushing. So first-year defensive line coach Rod Marinelli becomes the interim DC. Your thoughts on the move? Well, first of all, you know, like, look, I've been saying how bad the Raiders are on defense all year, and, and I haven't been saying it's a Gunther problem. I've been saying it's a personnel problem. Now, Gunther's responsible for a lot of the personnel moves there. You know, I think that Gunther was responsible for a lot of this. I mean, Gunther and Mike Mayock are best friends. They're close as anybody. I don't think Gruden would have hired Mayock without Paul Gunther there. So, you know, they're very close friends. And this has got to, I'm sure this has got to sting Mayock a little bit too to lose his best friend. But, you know, it's a production business and the Raiders, you know, the last three weeks have been just horrendous. They should be 0-4 the last month of the season. They've given up 115 points in the last three games. You know, they've been outscored by 55 points. Uh, they they can't you know, give up 206 yards rushing and 212 the last two weeks just on the ground alone. I mean, but as I've said, this is really more about their talent. You know, they, they had a lot of money this offseason. They went out and they spent their money and they spent it on defensive players, you know, and and Marinelli was as much responsible as the defensive players they were spending the money on. You know, he wanted Malik Collins. They think Malik Collins is going to be great. They want all these kind of one-gap players. I mean, Marinelli's scheme from Tampa when John won a Super Bowl, that's great. But that scheme ain't, ain't, ain't really going to be effective, especially on the edges where they're so small. You don't have Simeon Rice. You don't have Warren Sapp. You don't have John Lynch. You don't have Derek Brooks. Like, it's not going to work. And Gunther's from a different scheme than Marinelli. And when they brought Marinelli in, who'd been a coordinator before in Dallas, and he's been one with Gruden, you know, obviously he wants to, Marinelli wants to run what he wants in his front, which doesn't really tie into what Gunther wants to do in his back. So there was kind of a conflict there, philosophical conflict. And, you know, it's a production-based business. And look, the, the Raiders defensively, you can fire the coach and you could put Marinelli in charge, but who's going to cover when you play man-to-man? Will they go back and play a, a cover-two scheme and just play Tampa like Rod once it wanted to do in Dallas? If they want to play zone and read the quarterback's shoulders, good luck. They're not going to get any pressure on the quarterback, especially against a good offensive line. They can't block. The, 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 Max Crosby's a nice player. He should be a, a, a he should be a role player. Farrell, the first round pick. I mean, you know, he's not, they don't have any girth. They don't have any substance up front. You know, and then they sign these players in the offseason to help their linebacking core to help their and it and it hasn't worked. Now Gunther's got to assume responsibility for that, but so does Gruden. He's the general manager and the head coach. Mayock's the general manager, but every decision is made through through Gruden. 
So, you know, to me, I mean, this is just, you throw, in, you throw Gunther overboard and maybe that'll help, but that doesn't solve the issue. It isn't a scheme issue. It's really not a scheme issue. Yes, it could be. It's partly a scheme issue, but their talent level is not very good. And so the Raiders have now lost three of four games after a strong start to their relocation season. Derek Carr, two picks. Nelson Aguilar did have a touchdown. And the island of Dr. Moreau, Foster Moreau, did have a touchdown. But here's John Gruden, who, by the way, was not available after Gunther was relieved of his duties. Here he is talking about the Raiders' issues, though. Well, obviously, we only have a few days left. We're running out of time. Running out of players. Farrell went down again today early. I don't want to make any excuses. Abram went down. Jeff Heath's not here. We miss Arnett. We miss a lot of players, but um, we got stuck on some blocks. Uh, we misfit some runs, and uh, we paid for it big time. We had no answer today, and uh, we better find some answers, and, and as soon as I'm done here, we'll start searching. Well, they made their answers, at least by firing the defensive coordinator. We'll see what can happen there with Marinelli now in charge. I mean, that's interesting too, AD, though. They fire him on, you know, I, I could see, I know they only have three games left, but they have the Chargers this week at home on Thursday night. Like, that, that's a pretty quick turnaround to fire your coach. So this has obviously been in the plans for a while. You know, and, and I got a feeling that if, you, if, I'm, if I'm the Los Angeles Chargers, if I'm Anthony Lynn, I, I don't want to be that, but just if, if I'm Anthony Lynn, I'm thinking they're just going to play. They're going to go back and play the Tampa scheme. They're going to play cover two, and you know the Chargers are going to run the ball on them. Perfect timing to bring it to Anthony Lynn, coaching malpractice yet again, trailing 17-10 right before halftime. The Chargers driving deep in Falcons territory, out of timeouts. Lynn calls for a running play on third and short. Los Angeles not only did not get the first down, but the decision deteriorated into the offense and the field goal unit, both being on the field at the same time, leading to a lost play before halftime. Michael Badgley, Lord of the Kicks, ends up saving them with a 43-yard field goal. They beat the Falcons 20-17, to but yet another indictment of Anthony Lynn. Here's what he had to say about the play. I would have been disappointed if he didn't ask about that, okay? Uh, let me tell you this, and I don't want to elaborate on it, but you cannot run the ball in that situation. You just can't. You know, we, we, we try to be aggressive, but you cannot run the ball in that situation. And, and that right there is, that's, that's an area where we have got to improve as a coaching staff, uh, communication-wise, and, uh, and we will. But you cannot run the ball there. Well, the Falcons, they were without four starters, including Julio Jones, and the Chargers get the victory. But how about Lynn? Not only the decision, Mike, but also his rationale there. Well, I mean, it's the same thing he did last week. You know, it's the same thing he did last week. I mean, they ran the ball down there at third and one, you know, and, and he's saying you can't do it. Well, he's on the headset. Like when he hears some call that they're going to run ballage up the middle, does he say, wait, no, timeout. We got to spike the ball here. We need time. You know, it's so let's set the stage here. So, you know, they get the ball, they, they start the drive with 451 to go. They're moving the ball down the field, doing a nice job mixing run and pass. He uses his first timeout with 127 to go, you know, and then he uses his second timeout. At first and 10, he's got the ball at the Atlanta. He throws a shotgun pass to Hunter Henry for 12 yards. He gets five yards, right? So now he's at second and five. He used a timeout. So now he throws another pass for four yards. He uses his third timeout. He's got 30 seconds left to go. He uses his timeout there. So it's third and one. He used his timeout. So they came over to the sideline. He came, they came over to the sideline. Okay. They huddled. They huddled. Now he's telling the media, you can't run the ball there. Well, they just huddled. They just fucking huddled. What did they talk about in the huddle? 
Did they talk about what they're going to? Is it remember in in in, in uh, Bull Durham when they go out there and they talk about what are we going to buy for him as for his for his uh, shower? Oh, maybe a nice lint. I mean, what did they talk about in the huddle? Like seriously, it was third and one. They huddled. He used his third timeout. If you're the head coach, if you're the head coach of Ocean City High School, you sit there and say, okay, we just used our third timeout. We're going to have to throw the ball here. Make sure we throw it in the end zone because we don't want to throw it in bounds. We're at the, we're at the eight-yard line. We're either going to throw it in the end zone or we're going to kick the field goal. Okay? I don't, it's, I'm not worried about the third data. I'm not worried about converting. I'm either we're going to get a touchdown or we're going to kick a field goal. Okay? Got that? We're not running the ball. We're not. I don't give a fuck what look they give us. We're not running the ball. Okay, and throw it to the back of the end zone. And if you don't have a play, throw it out of bounds, can't take a sack. That's called coaching. You call the timeout. You call the timeout. And then you're coming to the press conference to say you can't run the ball there. No shit. Well, what did you tell them on the field? Like, what did you tell them on the field? Did you did, did you not tell them? You know, I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. And every week it happens. And, you know, the, I truly believe the Spanos family doesn't want to fire Anthony Lynn. I truly believe it. They don't. But I don't think he leaves them any choice. It's inexcusable once again. And I can't imagine he's coaching beyond next season. But maybe they're just trying to finish out the year. I mean, good for him. They get the win. But, yeah, it's... Uh... Those excuses, like you said, they're going to run dry after a while. Uh, one more game, by the way, I did want to hit on, Mike. Bills and Steelers. Uh, Steelers are on a losing streak. Two straight losses. Their offense was ineffective. Sean McDermott's defense played well against them. Josh Allen looked poised, confident, you know, hung in the pocket. Bills able to make plays. I thought their defense played really well, though. I mean, the interceptions of Roethlisberger were key. Your thoughts on the Bills knocking off the Steelers at home? Well, I think the Steelers are just a shell of themselves. First of all, you can't, like we said last week, can't throw the ball 53 times. They have no run game. They play with no power. I don't know what Chris Collinsworth was talking about on the air yesterday about the, the linemen of the Steelers' steps, how they get them on the ground. I mean, th that's how we evaluate linemen. It's always about who can get a second step on the ground the quickest. That's why 40 time for offensive linemen is somewhat important. You want foot quickness. You want to be able to see how they can deliver it because it's more the second step than the first step. So, you know, they have no power in their offensive line. They can't really, they can't get anything going. And Ben, you know, I mean, would you like to be throwing the ball to Eric Ebron? Like, seriously, like at some point, when do you stop throwing on the ball to a guy that can't catch? Oh, no, that, that one that could have been a first down. It was like a third and four, and you saw the look at Roethlisberger's face. I'm like, Eric Ebron, I got the, enough of the drops here. Seriously. I mean, they haven't, they, they they had 47 yards rushing. I mean, so they have 177 passing. I mean, you can't be one-dimensional against them. They were one for 10 on third down yesterday against Buffalo. I mean, they're trending in the wrong direction. They are trending. They got very fortunate to beat RG3 and the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens back in the beginning of December. They're very fortunate in that game, right? You know, and they beat Cincy and Jacksonville. I mean, think about this now. Let's go over the quarterbacks that they've played this year. They played Daniel Jones in the opener. It's a little closer than the score was. They played Drew Locke. He gets hurt in week two. They come back and they play Deshaun Watson in week three and they win that game. They come back, Carson Wentz, you know, they win that game late on the touchdown with Claypool. Then it's Baker Mayfield, they dominate. Then it's then they get lucky against Tennessee. Guskowski misses the field goal at the end of the game, which would have sent it to overtime. Baltimore, they create four turnovers, win that game. Then Dallas, you know, they struggle to beat Dallas. They score 24 against Dallas, but they struggle against Garrett, Garrett Gilbert. Then Cincinnati, you know, and then Jacksonville. And so Buffalo, Josh Allen's one of the better players they played against. And their offense yesterday had 224 yards of it. They couldn't do anything. And, you know, it, and it puts a lot of pressure on their defense. Then their defense in the last two weeks hasn't been the same. They've given up 273 to Washington passing. They gave up 230 to Buffalo. 
you know, Buffalo was seven for 14 on third down. I mean, look, Brian Dayball has done a really good job at Buffalo. I mean, nobody talks about him for a head coaching job, but the guy has done. Josh Allen is playing better. I thought the key part watching that game last night, and this is this was really the essence of the game. Pittsburgh, and this is the way I think Buff, people are going to play Buffalo from here on out. Pittsburgh was convinced in their game planning that if they could rush Allen inside or from the edges and make him have to play fast where he couldn't get his feet set and deliver the ball in a in a timely fashion, his accuracy would revert back to where it was last year. And I think they did that to some point. And then Dayball did a really good job of adjusting, getting the ball out quick. He kind of got him in a couple looks. And he, they were able to run the ball in the second half, made a couple plays, and then they got obviously got the win. But to me, you know, to me, we've talked about this all year. This Steeler defense, which has been really good against quarterbacks and forced twenty five turnovers, you know, they they can't they're not good enough anymore. They loot when they lost Dupree, they lost Bush, they didn't have Hayden out there. It's you can't afford it. And you know, Gruden was talking about all the people he's missing. And that's true. He's right. You can't make excuses. It's hard to replace players. But I think it's really hard for Pittsburgh because Ben, Ben, it, Ben can't do this. He, he can't. Do, the last four weeks, here's Ben Roethlisberger's numbers the last four weeks. 5.8 yards per attempt. 5.22 yards per attempt. 5.75 yards per attempt. 5.05 yards per attempt. You cannot win football games that way. On the season, he's 6.29 yards per attempt. And here's the shocker of all shockers. They've played 13 games. They have only made pass plays of over 25 yards 18 times. That's less than one a game. You can't win football games if you don't make big plays. And there's only been their best game of the year in terms of yards per attempt was against Denver, 7.59. Every other game has been below 7.59, and they've had they've had six games below six. This is how bad the offense is now for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've been held under 20 points in three straight games. Tomlin, he called out their team's running attack and the receivers for their drop passes. I don't know who he's going to call out this time. And by the way, Stephon Diggs, he had 10 catches, 130 yards. He's got 100 catches. That matches the Bills' single-season record set by Eric Moulds back in 02. With him and Cole Beasley, receivers, obviously Devin Singletary of the backfield. You can see why the Bills' offense looking good right now. 10-3, uh, they're going back to the playoffs, and they're trying to inch closer towards their first AFC East title since 1995. When we come back, we'll give out the weekly awards, tell you who needs to go on the land, plus a thought on Monday Night Football. It's a big one for the Cleveland Browns. All right, time now for the weekly awards. Mike, who's going on the lamb? You know, I was really disappointed in the New Orleans game plan. Uh, I thought Philly did a really good job with their game plan. Uh, and I was disappointed at New Orleans was shocked that Jalen Hurts was running the ball. Like, seriously, like you, you go into that game you, you and, and Doug Peterson announced him as the starter on Tuesday, which, you know, gave New Orleans a distinctive advantage because they could set up their game plan. Like, okay, here's how we're going to ha- here's how we're going to play this game. And I thought they just stubbed their big toe and, and, you know, they give up 24 points. Now, you know, they give up the long run at the end of the half. I mean, they got them backed up at their own five yard line with, with a little over two minutes to go in the hat in the game at the two minute warning. And they let Miles Sanders take one to the house. I mean, their run defense was just horrendous. It was, to me, it was ill-prepared. And Allen, Allen always has a couple of these games a year where you say, wait a minute, what the hell's going on? 
Like, what is going on here? And I think this was one of them. This was really a disappointing uh, game plan for him. On the other side of the ball, and we've been taking uh, the hammer to Doug Peterson all year long, but the Fred Palermo Award this one, conversely, the best game plan going of the week goes to the Eagles. Yeah, because if finally they actually did, they, they ran the ball 36 times. They put the ball in their best player's hands, Miles Sanders. He could run the ball, and Hurt ran the ball. I mean, that's the key. They, they didn't throw the ball. I mean, Hurts didn't, he made a couple throws. He, the, his best throw of the day was, was you know, was on a, a, a on a throwback. I mean, you know, and so... They, they didn't try to rely on their passing game to win the game. And even on third down, they tried to run the ball. So, you know, they played complementary football to their defense, which was playing really good. Their defense was playing really good. So to me, this is what we've been asking them to do, but they did it with Hurts. They didn't want to do it with Wentz. Yeah, it's interesting how all of a sudden things change when you realize, oh, Wentz is not the, the star he once was, but they kept clinging to the belief that he was. Their passing attack ranks 29th in football. Run the ball. That's where you've had success. And lastly, for the awards, if you don't know, now you know. What's your main takeaway from this week of football? Well, I, I think that, that the Washington football team can win games with defense alone. And if they if they win the East, which they, they sh- you know, they've got to win, you know, they've got to win at least two of the next three games. Uh, because, you know, here, here's the reality of the NFC East, right? Washington has Seattle, Carolina, and Philly. If they, if they get to, if they get to, if they're nine and seven, they easily win the East. If they get to eight and, if they get to eight and eight, right? And, and you know, then they've got to hope that, you know, and Philly gets to, what's Philly? Philly has four wins. Philly, the best Philly can be is seven, eight, and one. So they've got to win two of the next three. The Giants, I think, are out of it. Philly's got Arizona, Dallas, and Washington, right? And Washington has Seattle and Carolina, then Philly. The Giants, I don't think, have a chance because Cleveland, Baltimore, they have Cleveland, Baltimore, and Dallas. All those will be hard games for them. But the reality here is Washington, with their defensive front, can win games. When they play Philly, they'll be able to dominate Philly's offensive line. Can they keep Hurts from running the football? That's be a fascinating game. What the what Washington has been able to do is, and I think what Ron Rivera said on the pod was, hey, we've kind of matured as a football team. Their defense is carrying them, and they're hard to play right now. So Washington will be a, if they get in, they will be a hard team to play come playoff time. Uh, right now, have the inside track towards winning the NFC East, but I, I agree that the Eagles still have a chance right now, even if Doug Peterson won't commit to Jalen Hurts yet. That brings us to Monday night football and a huge game for the Ravens. They're seven and five. The Browns are nine and three. Just imagine if there was fans, how wild the dog pen would be for a Monday night football game. The Ravens, they've been slumping lately, Mike. We all know that. But if they can win this game, their schedule is very easy after this. If they can go to eight and five, their schedule gets easy. And you think, okay, they have a much better chance of making the playoffs. If they lose this, they're seven and six. And I think even with an easy schedule, it's going to be tough in the AFC. What do you think? Can the Browns knock off the Ravens or do you like Baltimore to finally pick things up? I kind of like the Browns today and taking the points. I think it's an even game, but I think the Browns, the way they're playing and the way the confidence is in terms of how they're playing offensively with Baker Mayfield. I mean, Baltimore has to do a really good job of rushing the passer, making Baker Mayfield play small. I mean, they got to make them play small. Now, I think weather is going to be a factor tonight, right? Weather is going to be a factor. It's going to be in the 30s. By kickoff, it's going to be, you know, maybe freezing, and there's going to be 17-mile-an-hour wins, which I think is going to favor the best-run team. And whatever team gets the lead in this game, 
is the other team's going to have a hard time playing catch up because both offensive lines are not conducive to to drop back pass game. Bill Vinovich is the referee tonight, you know, and he's his record at when he's doing home games is forty eight sixty one overall. So he's really what we would call a road referee. And you know, when you look at this, I mean, I think there's a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, interest in I think Cleveland this line has moved towards Cleveland I mean towards Baltimore so we'll see but I think the points I think it'll be a field goal type game I think the points would be good this will be a big day for Lamar they've got to do a good job of finding a way to get Lamar to make some plays outside the numbers in the passing game interesting you mentioned you think it'll be a close game the Ravens have lost four of their last six games and each of Baltimore's last four losses have been six or fewer points they've been very poor in those situations and Baker Mayfield who neither you or I are big fans of I will give him this he has Zero interceptions in five straight games. That's tied for the second longest streak for Cleveland since 1970. So he has not been turning over the football. I give him credit there. Closing thought, your choice, Mike. Either you can talk about Kevin Durant coming back for Brooklyn. He looks great. James Harden wants a trade out of Houston, even though John Wall's there. Or if you want to talk about the season finale of Fargo, your choice. I'll go Fargo. I'll go Fargo. I mean, for me, Fargo was constantly disappointing. It never really, it picked up on a theme. Like they brought in these guys from Kansas City that were supposed to be the mob. And the next thing you know, they were gone. Like I didn't think it really flowed well. I thought the woman who was the crazy lady, I thought she was a good actress in it. But, you know, and it was so... It was so uh, Cohen Brothers how the Itali- one Italian brother got killed. That was so Cohen Brothers. By the way, they finally had this like really sweet moment, him and his brother. And then he gets shot in the head when he trips. That was unbelievable. I thought it was a C. I didn't like the guy that played the one brother. I didn't think he was really good in it. You know, I mean, I, I, that that actor. I, I mean, I'm sure he's a great actor. I just didn't like him in that role. He was a smart aleck, kind of pretended he was the boss, but he really wasn't. Like seriously, is some family's going to let that guy come up and run it. I mean, he was Fredo. He had Fredo written all over him. Like, you know, there was no way if the father would let that kid run the family. So I I, I thought the ending was disappointed. I kept saying to Millie, like, when are those two, when is that one woman going to come back? You know, when is she going to come back? And then did you understand like the, the, the Marshall? Like I never could figure out why was he even in it? I loved his first scene, Timothy Oliphant, the actor, when he's eating those carrots. Yeah. Like, you know, he's like one of these guys, he's like a real straight arrow eating on carrots. I thought he was a great actor, but I thought like, what is he, like, what is he doing here? Like, like there's no, there's no substance to his character. I was disappointed in it. So Chris Rock is a bad guy. You're not buying that he can beat the crap out of anybody. No, no. I mean, there's just some... I, I think Chris Rock's funny. I think he's funny, and I think he's funny to be with, but I just don't see him in that role, you know? And I mean, the best part of the movie was the little kid who walked home with the dog. I mean, I thought the dog played the best part of all. <laughs> I agree the two women were great. I love the fact that she got to have revenge by killing Rock's character. I mean, they were just so uh, vicious. I mean, that scene in the train station, by the way, I mean, it, it's beautifully shot. I mean, I don't know what the budgets are on these things, but they really put their money towards that. Great shot. Was that the Kansas City train station? I think it was. I mean, it was beautiful. That whole sequence, that murder was really well done, I thought. Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was outstanding. All right. Uh, as always, thanks for checking out the GM Shuffle. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, M Lombardi NFL, Adnan S. Verk. Listen, we've only got three weeks left here of the regular season, so we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Go to Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll talk to you again on Thursday. <laughs>